Well, it's hard to believe, but it was July 25th, right? Four months ago when Pastor Chris began our series through the book of Galatians. And over the next two Sundays, Pastor Justin will be wrapping up this study through Galatians. And today, we find ourselves arriving at the final chapter. This morning, we're in Galatians 6, 1 through 5. Now, I know it's been four months, and a few of you have taken a nap since then, or a few of you probably need to take a nap. Anybody else? I know we're in that position in the Ferguson household. So maybe you've forgotten a few things. So let me just take a few moments. Your memory's a little foggy. Let's jog it a little bit and remember what has brought us to this point in the book of Galatians. Right? The book was written to several churches in a region called Galatia, what we know in modern-day terms as northern Turkey. And according to the first few chapters, a, a group had come into the church since Paul's departure and had begun teaching them that they needed to follow aspects of the Old Testament law in addition to faith in Jesus Christ. Essentially, they had begun teaching a false gospel contrary to the word and work of Jesus. So Paul uses this letter to gently restore the church back, or the church is, back to a true understanding of the gospel. Right? He, he walks them through justification by faith alone, the meaning of the law under the new covenant, and a believer's restored relationship with God as their creator. And now in chapters five and six, he's really turning a corner. He's going a little bit deeper to see how the gospel applies into our everyday life. He reveals how the gospel is everything to a Christian. The gospel is what fills our life with, with freedom and fruit. In addition to these things, Paul's also very careful to point out the misapplication or the lack of application of the gospel in our everyday lives. And this is important to grasp here. I want you to hear me. Too often, we think of the gospel as something we initially need in salvation, and then we can just take it and set it up on the shelf and then focus in on the deeper stuff. I'm here to tell you this morning, the gospel is the deeper stuff, okay? It is the light that shines deeper and deeper into the depths of our soul. We must hold the, the reality of the gospel like a flashlight in our hand at all times and shine it into every thought, decision, feeling, or action of our life. If we do not, which we all inevitably do at times, then we will get caught in transgression like the churches of Galatia had. 
Hopefully, you saw last week as Pastor Justin walked us through the end of chapter five, the gospel identifies the the roots of our sins, the, the real heart matter. And then it applies the truth, and then the Holy Spirit does his work of bearing fruit in our lives. So now here, in Galatians 6, 1 through 5, we pivot ever so slightly to understand how this works amongst a community of believers, us, the church. You see, the passage commands believers to bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. Bearing one another's burdens is an inherent quality of a follower of Jesus Christ. We imitate Jesus by bearing the burdens of sin for one another because that's exactly what Jesus did for us. Only he bore them all the way to the cross. This morning, I want to encourage you to imitate Jesus Christ, by bearing the burdens of sin for one another. Now, Galatians 6 really lays out three commands to do this, three commands to imitate Jesus. Restore, carry, and guard. We restore, we carry, and we guard. First, we restore those who have transgressed. Second, we carry burdens for one another. And thirdly, we must guard ourselves while we do that. You got them? Restore, carry, guard. And if we make these a practice in our relationships with one another, then not only will we help a brother or sister out, but we ourselves will grow in the likeness of who Jesus Christ is. Let's take that first one. Let's take that first step, restore, okay? Galatians 6.1 opens by saying, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. You may or may not be familiar with this idea of transgression. Another word for it is sin, but it is simply defined as an act against God. You were created by God to have a relationship with him. The first human beings, Adam and Eve, they decided they didn't want to have a relationship with him the way he had designed it. And so they acted against him by choosing to live life their own way. And so sin entered the human race. And ever since, all of us have acted against God in a a rebellion opposed to his way of living and opposed to him himself. Because of these actions, sin has consequences because they, they go against the way our creator made us, the, the way he made the world, right? It's, it's like uh, when a computer programmer writes the code for a favorite app that you use every day. 
And then all of a sudden, there's like a little bug in the code, and it's, it's just not working the way it should. Right? I've, I had great application of this this morning. Our Wi-Fi network in the church decided to stop working the moment kids' check-in starts happening. Oh, you kidding me? It's been working all week, right? But the slightest thing goes off, and none of it works. Right? Because that, that little thing just changes ever so slightly the way it's intended to work. This is what sin does. In the smallest amount to the greatest amount, it changes how things were created to work and function. It corrupts. You've heard us put it this way here. Sin makes us stupid. Do you ever feel that at times? Like, oh, I just feel like an idiot. I just keep sinning and it comes into my life and it, it keeps messing things up. Sin just makes us stupid because it corrupts the way that God has made it. So Jesus, through the book of Galatians here and in other places, instructs the church to help one another to fight against sin, right? Because we know how it corrupts. We know how it comes in and affects, affects our lives. This is what happened here in Galatia, right? That's why we have the book of Galatians, God made the path of redemption back to him through faith in Jesus Christ. Nothing more, nothing less, all Jesus, okay? But sin had made some people in the churches of Galatia a little stupid, okay? They start adding things to salvation. They start putting requirements, crazy requirements for salvation like circumcision, so really what Paul is doing through the whole book of Galatians is applying what the Holy Spirit reveals here in our text this morning. He's restoring the church of Galatia back to a true understanding of the gospel. In other words, what he is showing us is that those who are spiritually healthy and mature are to restore those who are caught in sin. If you are not in a place of habitual sin, then you actually have an obligation to help those who are captured by sin. Galatians 6 is specifically calling on mature followers of Jesus Christ to help fellow followers who find themselves caught back up in sin. This is when one Christian comes alongside of another to help them in their fight against sin, against the things that are actually outlined in chapter five, like drunkenness, anger, jealousy, sexual sins of any kind, dissensions or divisions, just to name a few from the list. The believer who is walking by the Spirit is used by God to restore the other away from the sin by teaching them to walk with the Holy Spirit and by exhorting them to the fruit of the Spirit. And you may hear this command, this command to restore only to think that you are unworthy to help. Like, oh, no, I'm, I've got my own problems. I shouldn't be getting in here. Actually, Romans 15.1 says, we who are strong have an 
obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. Right? These verses are not calling on those who are perfect and who've got it all together, but rather those who have a spiritual maturity. You may try and sideline yourself because you don't want to overestimate your spirituality, but what you are most likely doing is underestimating the power of the Holy Spirit. Satan wins when we refuse to help someone out of sin because we don't think we're, we're spiritual enough. Or dare I say that, that we think we, we just don't have time for it at that moment. The verse is calling those who are not in habitual sin, those who are walking by the Spirit, to be an instrument of restoration. 2 Corinthians 5 will say that God has given us a ministry of reconciliation. And this act of restoration is to be done with gentleness. Helping to restore another Christian is a humbling task that reminds us of what Jesus did for us. It points out our, our own tendencies for sin. Restoration is, is done from a place of love and a desire to see someone walking with the Spirit and not burdened with the consequences of sin. Right? Restoration is done by utilizing the, the commands to teach one another, admonish one another, exhort one another. It's walking alongside a, a brother or sister who's become overcome with a habitual sin, walking alongside of them on life's trials to, to help them just navigate the rocky terrain by maybe thinking through what, what triggers their sin, what provisions for sin have they made in their lives, or what changes do they need to make in their daily routine to, to not fall into that sin. Actually, I think the book of Galatians provides for us a great example for how we should do this act of restoration. Not just the book as a whole, which is a great example, but more specifically, the example that Paul gives back in chapter two. He recalls what is also recorded in Acts 15 when ethnic divisions and prejudice had come into the church at Jerusalem and specifically into the apostle Peter's heart. Do you remember this? They weren't eating with the Gentiles and they were separating. You see what Paul does here. I, I observe three things that Paul does there in chapter two. He first identifies the sin to Peter. Right? He gently calls Peter's attention to the issue. Then he applies the gospel to Peter in this moment. If you listen, in chapter two, verse 14, the words of Paul, he says, when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. So what is he doing? So he's identified the sin, but he's not just calling it out for sin's sake. What is he doing? He's going back to the gospel. 
He's picking up, he's holding on to that flashlight, right? And he's shining the gospel into this moment and going, hold on, this doesn't line up with what Jesus has done. Right? Paul does not identify sin based off of opinion or preference. He applies the gospel, nothing else. And in fact, the rest of chapter two and the majority of chapter three, that's what Paul's unpacking. He's applying the truth of the gospel to this sin that he's identified in Peter's life. So first, he identifies sin. Second, he applies the gospel. Thirdly, he leaves the work to the Holy Spirit. Right? There, there's no account of, of Paul leading a campaign to remove Peter there's no account of, of Paul setting up a, a separate convention of apostles. What does he do? He hands it over to the Holy Spirit. He allows the gospel to do its work and for the Holy Spirit to bear its fruit. And we know from the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit does that work. Peter goes on to be a great minister of the gospel to all peoples. You see, restoring someone caught in sin is, it's hard work, but it's worthy work. It's running into the flames to pull a fellow disciple of Christ to safety, to the safety of God's grace, to the comfort of Jesus' love, and to the healing work of the Holy Spirit. It's helping them fight for holiness. After all, isn't that what Jesus did for us through the gospel? He stepped into the flames of sin and took on our burdens. If we are to imitate Jesus by bearing one another's burdens of sin, then we must do the work of, rest of restoration. So how do we, who are spiritual, restore those in transgression? Well, I would suggest following the three observations of Paul's restoration of Peter. Identify, apply, and pray. Identify, apply, pray. Let me unpack those really quickly. First, in restoration, the sin must be identified. This implies a few things, right? It must be a sin that is identifiable by action, we do not know the human heart. So we cannot identify something like the sin of jealousy just because we think somebody looked at my new outfit a little bit, you know, suspiciously. Okay? We can't judge hearts. We have to identify the sins that are outward actions, actual transgressions. Identifying the sin also means that we go to the person personally, directly, to identify that sin. We do not gossip about it. We do not share it as a prayer request or a concern. We go to them and we identify it. And as you do that, remember the second one, apply the gospel. Don't just point out the sin, but gently and lovingly Walk the person 
through the gospel and why their actions are contrary to the work of Jesus Christ. Use scripture in your application of the gospel. Help the person see the truth of Jesus Christ and how it meets them right where they're at. This is gonna be hard, but be courageous to speak truth and to confront sin according to the scriptures. But do so as an appeal to the light and not beating them over the head with it. So identify, apply the gospel. Lastly, pray. Pray for that person. Prayer is our way of handing things over to God, is it not? Handing things over to the Holy Spirit. I think this last step is so important, but often not done to its fullest. We want to continue to talk and talk at the person and apply, use this verse. Well, maybe I'll convince him from this way. But really, the most powerful thing that we can do is hand it over to the Lord in prayer. If we're trying to change the person, save them, then we're losing sight of the gospel ourselves. And so we need to hand it over. Otherwise, pride will well up within us. True restoration is the work of God. So the most powerful work of restoring a fellow believer is to pray for them after we have identified the sin and applied the gospel. Prayer is always a reminder that God is God and you're not. I encourage you to take seriously the responsibility as a church, as a family, to restore one another, to restore one who falls into transgression. But remember the instruction to do so with a gentle spirit. The work of the spirit, the work of restoration is always done with a, with a, with a reverent touch as not to cause any further damage. We also know that not all the burdens of sin are transgressions, right? Many bear the burden of sin's effects on our lives. Many times the burden is not the result of someone's personal sin, but the casualties of a sinful world that we live in or the, the casualties of someone else's sin. It may be an illness. It may be hunger, because a, a husband has abandoned a family. The examples of, of sin's effects and casualties are, are really are, are endless. I, I can't even begin to, to scratch the surface, but if you would stop for a second and in your own mind and heart and think the weightiness of the sinful world that we live in and the things that we have to deal with because we've broken away from God's order and way, we know that that is heavy and will bring many of us to tears. That's why the, the second step of imitating Jesus in this way is to bear the burden of sin for one another. Or in other words, to, to carry it, to carry the burden. Right? Verse two says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill 
the law of Christ. Carry the burden. When it's the transgression of sin, we restore. But when it's the effects or casualties of sin, it's not that person's sin who has brought about this burden. So we we actually imitate by carrying the burden with them. Right When a death in a family comes, we provide that family with meals and support. When a brother or sister is battling cancer, we take turns driving them to appointments or send notes of encouragement. When someone loses a job, we, we pitch in to help the family with whatever they need. Or, or maybe we help them search for a new job. When we hear of one, we refer it. Carrying the burdens is something that takes the whole church because that weight is heavy. May we all carry a burden for one another. May we imitate Jesus who carried the weight of sin on his shoulders. If I may, let me, let me grab those three observations that we used earlier identify, apply, and pray. Let me, let me grab those and let's use them here to help us understand how we can carry the burden for one another. First, identify. See people the way God sees them. Stop, open your eyes. See what people around you are going through and identify it, connect with them. Right, often we like to jump to solutions or trying to fix the problem. But often giving solutions can just be adding more rocks to the backpack and making the load even heavier. Often it's just needed that you just sit and recognize the burden. A burden can be carried simply by realizing somebody else understands what I'm going through. Sympathize with them. Maybe share how you felt when you went through something similar. And never underestimate the ministry of presence. Just being with someone can be a strong and able way to carry the load. Tears can often say more than words. Secondly, Apply the gospel. Apply the gospel. Where and when you can alleviate some of that burden, do so. Right? Remember, the core of the gospel message is that Jesus stepped out of heaven, out of the comforts of heaven, and came to this earth to save the world from their sins, to, to take sin upon himself. So you can apply the gospel by stepping out of your comfort zone and buying some food, offering to babysit, or just sitting down with somebody to talk when you think, oh, I don't know if I have time in my schedule. A simple gesture of recognizing that they are going through a troublesome time can be a powerful way to carry the burden of one another. The simplest acts of mowing a lawn or lending a hand to a project, right? No matter the situation, the burden of sin can cause us to forget the beauty of the gospel. So in order to bear one another's burdens, we 
often just need to remind each other of the gospel. And that can be really simple. Just texting a verse, writing a handwritten note, calling them up, praying for you. Anything specific I can pray for. That doesn't even take a lot of time. But just applying the gospel by helping us remember the beauty of what Jesus has done for us. Carry the burden by speaking the truth of the gospel. Help others apply the gospel in their life through difficult circumstances. Third, as we carry the burden, pray. Pray. One of the best ways to carry the burden for someone is continued prayer, especially when it's months into the journey. And it's okay to remind them that you're continuing to pray for them. They feel a weight lifted when they know you remember them. Send a text. You are praying for them. Maybe recall a specific prayer request. Right? Being reminded that you are not alone and that you are calling out to God on their behalf helps carry that burden and, and reminds them who is ultimately carrying that burden for them. Go to God. Ask him to help that brother or sister. Pray to him with them. And when you don't know what to say, just stop and cry out to God. I, I can't tell you how many times I've been with people in difficult circumstances that are way over my, my manly wisdom. I'm like, I don't know what to say. So I just stop and pray. Hand it over to God. Because right? often there's burdens I can't carry for another brother or sister. So I just go, hey, together, let's just, let's just hand this over to God. Carry this burden for us. Pray with them. Please never underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit. People are burdened with the effects of sin, and, and we need to carry that with one another. You hear what he says here in the text that as we do this, we are fulfilling the law of Jesus. When we restore our brothers and sisters, when we carry the burden with them, we are actually fulfilling the law of Jesus. Do, do you remember that moment with Jesus when, when he just kind of has this profound moment in front of the the, the Pharisees, and they're, they're quizzing him on the law like he, like he doesn't know it. And, and what does he do? He summarizes the whole thing. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor. So when we do these things, when we restore one another, when we carry burdens from one another, we're doing what he commanded. We're fulfilling the law of Jesus Christ. We are imitating Jesus. But as you restore, as you carry, I want you to see the caution given all throughout this text. Right, the end of verse one. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Verses three to five. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, 
and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. As you do the work to restore and to carry, remember this third step, guard, guard. The reality of sin is that it is ugly, evil, and vile. It is a mess that will rear its ugly head in your life when you least expect it. Right? And that's why Galatians 6.1 warns, keep watch. Guard yourself. Because as we step into the fray to fight against sin, we could easily find ourselves tempted to sin. But more, to be caught up in the flesh. And it isn't just getting caught into the sins that you are restoring someone out of. But more likely, especially when you are carrying a burden for someone, we can easily fall into the sin of pride. Did you hear verse three? If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Anybody else ever been in that situation? I'm a pretty good Christian. I've given, I've helped, I've given them my time. Look at me, look at me. I'm deceiving myself. In these situations, we begin to compare ourselves with each other, thinking, oh wow, I'm doing better than that person. The, the translation of these verses here in English can be a little confusing, but essentially what it is telling us is everyone who's doing the work of restoration and caring to focus on themselves and to not be caught up in why someone else is or isn't helping out. Each will have to bear his own load, right? Their responsibility word for load, a little bit different than burden. They have to bear their own responsibility to fulfill the law of Christ. Then each person can boast, not in a, a prideful way, but boasting in the sense of taking joy or delight in their work, right? Receiving the blessing of God as we serve in his name to restore and carry we must guard ourselves as we bear one another's burdens. It is easy to become so focused on helping others that we forget to keep watch on ourselves, right? Here's a little example. Anybody else's family struggle with the, the hangries? Hungry, get angry, right? And I can become so focused on, uh, you know, getting the, the chicken nuggets for the kids, helping Sarah with the baby, I'm doing this and that, and then all of a sudden, I'm the one just like lashing out, Wah! you know, because if I would have just snagged a little something for myself, we could have avoided that whole situation, right? As we're caring for others, we got to keep watch on ourselves, we got to guard ourselves. In essence, that's what Galatians 6 is telling us, to keep watch because we could lose our own footing while we help someone else navigate life's trials. We could neglect our own family's needs because we're helping others. We could fall into the hole of a, of a sexual temptation while restoring someone else. 
We could trip over our own pride as we bear the burdens of others, drifting to think, well, I'm a pretty good savior. Oh, wait. What seems most likely from the text is actually falling into some type of relational sin, like anger, enmity, strife, or division. We are to test our actions, our heart, and look to our own work, not that of our neighbors. We must guard ourselves. Guard yourself as you fight to restore anyone caught in transgression. Guard yourself as you carry a burden for someone. And again, I'd like to go ahead and just utilize those three observations. Identify, apply, and pray to help guard. Right? First, identify what the sin is that has or you think could most likely come up or rear up in your life. And remember that caution to keep watch, to use some diligence to identify where you might be tempted. Identifying helps us be proactive in guarding. Right? Pastor Justin gave us that wonderful instruction last week to seek the root of our sin. When we first identify sin coming up, we need to identify what is the heart issue that is causing that. Secondly, apply. Apply the gospel in your own life. Remember, we never set the gospel up on the shelf and move on to deeper stuff. Always hold the gospel in your hand like a flashlight. It's what's gonna help you navigate the darkness of this world. That's how you guard yourself. As you do the work of restoration and caring, continue to apply the gospel in your own life. I'll tell you, personally, I have found the Holy Spirit does his most intense work work in my life while he's using me to restore another believer or to carry the burden for someone else. Honestly, I'll tell you, I think that's why God has me in vocational ministry because sin makes me really stupid, probably stupider than the rest of y'all. And so he constantly is using where I am to push me to apply the gospel in my own life. And it's a wonderful experience as the Holy Spirit is using you and you realize the impact that he is doing in your own life. Third, as you guard yourself, pray. Pray. In order to guard yourself, you must pray Hand this over to the Holy Spirit. He is the one who will guard you. Right? Hum prayer is, is humbling yourself and submitting yourself to his protection. Pray for, for ongoing protection as you step into the fray of, of someone else's transgression. Ask others to be praying for you as you go. As you are doing the heavy lifting of carrying a burden for someone, be in constant prayer. Even, even a small little breath prayer, right? Lord, help me. Or, 
God be with us. Have a profound way of guarding us to remember he is the one doing this work. In essence, the the way we guard is by continuing to walk by the Spirit. Actually, all three, restore, carry, and guard, are a continued application of the end of chapter 5. Listen to the final words. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Right? It is the further implementation of the gospel. If this is what God has done for me, then may he use me to do it in the lives of others. The book of Galatians has been this deep dive into the gospel and its implications for our everyday life. And our text here this morning is a reminder that we must stay close to the good news of Jesus Christ. Right? There is nothing more refreshing than a deep dive into the gospel. After all, that's what we're restoring people to. That's what we are carrying people to. That is what we are guarding ourselves for. The good news of Jesus Christ. That Jesus came and lived a life we could not and then died a death that we deserved and then rose victoriously over sin and death. Church family, that is some good news. And that if we put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ, he will take the burden of sin off of our shoulders. I don't know about you, but the past few Sundays, as we have sung, it is well, right? That line, when he took my sin, not in part, but the whole that's the gospel. That's good news. And it brings tears to my eyes. That is the gospel. Don't forget it. Don't walk away from it. Hold it tight in your hand and let it shine into every aspect of your life. And when you see someone else setting it up on the shelf or walking away from it, go. Restore them. When you see the shadows encroaching on those who feel the burden of this world, go carry that burden with them. All the while, guard yourself to not forget the gospel, to stay close. We restore each other back the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection. We carry one another back to the hope and joy that we find in Jesus' victory over sin and death. And we guard ourselves with the good news that Jesus is our Savior. Sadly, the churches of Galatia had forgotten the gospel. And so we have this book in front of us. The Holy Spirit is using 
Paul to restore them back to the gospel. Hear that caution. Keep watch. Because we too, Parkside, could become foolish and quick to desert him who called us in grace and to turn to a different gospel. Each and every one of us individually, that is why we must do the work of restoring each other, carrying each other, guarding ourselves. They help us to not forget the gospel. Don't forget the gospel. Christians, I hope that you see all that the gospel brings to your life, right? It is more than just the right standing before God. That is necessary. That is true. But it also brings a restoration that is essential, a restoration that pushes us past selfishness to look to bear the burdens of one another so that in the gospel we may find a spirit-filled unity with each other. Right? It's a restoration that pushes us past self-righteousness and looks to how we can restore one another so that in the gospel, we may grow through our relationships with one another. And if you don't know Jesus, I hope that you will heed these words of Galatians 6, 5, that each will have to bear his own load. Right, that responsibility, our action against God, the way he has created life incurs a penalty that must be paid. No other person here today can carry that penalty of sin for you. Only you can or you can hand it over to Jesus, trusting in him to be your savior. What is said here in Galatians 6, to restore, bear one another's burdens, to keep watch, they're in the imperative, church family. They are commands. All Christians who know what Jesus has done for them in the gospel have an obligation to apply it by helping bear the burdens of one another in restoring, caring, all the while guarding ourselves. Right? We, we imitate Jesus by taking what he did for us in the gospel and applying it in every relationship. Imitate Jesus by bearing the burdens of one another. I'm gonna pray here in a moment and then you're gonna have a time, there's communion the juice and the bread laid out for you. This is a time to stop and remember the gospel. Maybe you've put the gospel up on the shelf and you think in your own arrogance, you deceived yourself in thinking, oh, I'm moving on to the deeper stuff. You stop and use this time to go back and remember what Jesus has done for you. And I want you to examine each of those things. Examine how are you restoring one another back? Are, are you caring enough for, for another brother or sister in Christ? 
to help them see their need for holiness? Think about carrying. Where can you carry the the burden of sin's effects for somebody in your life? And then consider yourself. How do you need to keep watch and guard to not forget the gospel? Let me close this in prayer. Lord, we thank you that God, that that you sent Jesus to step out of heaven and come to us. Lord, I do pray for those here this morning who have no idea of, of who Jesus is personally, intimately in their life. Lord, I pray that they would come talk to me, talk to someone here this morning. Lord, I pray that you would help each and every one of us to remember the gospel, to not be foolish and be deceived, to walk away to some false gospel, but that we would say diligent, restoring one another, carrying one another's burdens, and to guard ourselves. Holy Spirit, do your work.